So do you have a story for us, JB? Um, oh <laughs> he my said God. he said he says knowing exactly what the answer is. I mean, I mean, it's a it's a gay sex movie. Uh, I mean, it's not a gay sex movie. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's like I've got dozens of stories. What would you like to hear? Um, let's talk about. Um, come round, children, and listen to Juan's fuck tales. Oh God! It's like how many hours of my life have I spent cruising? Um, and obviously, like <laughs> it's like in in modern modern times, cruising is very different than it was in the eighties. Um, I can only imagine what with like just the advent of like you know cell phones. Yeah, and... what's well, like it's fascinating to me that like obviously like back in the day it was like you would stand around and just kind of like look at each other and like wait and it was just like a lot of like pacing and waiting and walking and it's like nowadays we do the same exact fucking thing on our phones it's like we just sit there and like we message some people or like we wink at them or like hit if not like woof or tap or whatever the fuck it is (laughs) and it's like it depends on the app it sounds like you're playing poker and chess at the same time but what you're betting with is your penis yes Yes, Derek, that is a very apt way of putting it. Um, <laughs> Don't fuck with me. That sucked. That was terrible. That was a bad metaphor. I loved it, though. Um, <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It, it always fascinates me. And, like, you can waste hours on this. Like, if one hookup doesn't end up happening, it's like, surprise. There's like a bazillion others. Yeah, let's try to go on a different one. And it um, it's really interesting how gay culture has shifted over the years. I mean, obviously, there's still also, like, actual cruising. Like, you can go to a gay bar and, like, just chill and, like, wait for, like, someone to hit you up. I don't do that because I am one, lazy, and two, <laughs> I just, I don't like gay clubs and bars for the most part. I'm more of, like, it's like, I always hate going into like the distinction between gay and queer and how those two things are not necessarily overlapping. But um, also, I'm just it's like one's more of an umbrella term. Yeah, I mean, I get no, I mean, no, it's just like they're two different scenes, even uh, one's like more of a counterculture thing. One's more like a bunch of white twinks at a <laughs> like at a place dancing to like, I don't know, fucking lady gaga remix number 10 um yeah i'm not gonna help you i'm gonna be able to help you with cultural references on this one bud (laughs) um not that like either one of those things is bad or good it's just not my thing so yeah that's i like how i didn't even actually give like a sex story i just gave a an overview of queer culture before we dive into the past yeah the the is it is it safe to go in the bad old days um I don't know. I feel like it's like this is pre-AIDS. This was not the bad old days. This was like the pretty interesting old days. The ignorance is bliss old days. Yeah. I mean, it's still pretty shitty. It's still pretty good. But like, we'll get into that in a hot minute. So welcome to episode 37 of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see on what side of the consensus they fall on. Did you appreciate the little joke at the beginning of the show there, Juan? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. My name is Derek Gane, the purveyor of the finest jokes and japes to the side of the Mississippi River. And joining me on our little adventure today is my good friend and collaborator, Juan Barkeen. Say hi, Juan. Hey, me. (laughs) Such dejection. Such sadness. I know. Who am I? So, Who is this person that looks into the mirror every day? 
<laughs> I don't know. Do you then look at the camera? Do like I? right into the camera? Oh my god, I do, just like Al Pacino and Cruising. <laughs> so we just spoiled Cruising for you. Sorry. I mean, you're not listening to this show if you don't... Anyway. Anyway. The movie we're talking about today is Cruising, the 1980 film by uh, by, <laughs> by William Friedkin starring Al Pacino. And, uh, oh, this is going to be a one heavy episode, I feel. Uh, probably because I'm gay. Uh, yes, that's right. Juan is a gay I'm man. mostly gay. In case the previous 36 episodes didn't kind of, you know, there's plenty of hints. Mostly the fuck stories. Yeah, you know, all of the things. Um, But anyway, so Derek, I'm going to let you uh, <laughs> kick off this episode and tell us, what is cruising about? Well, it says it right on the tin, doesn't it? Does it? Does it, Derek? I feel I like mean, there's more to it than just cruising, isn't there? There is. This is this is a nice example of what I like to call the long 70s, because this is basically like a 70s police procedural film mm-hmm. set. But the gimmick is that it's set in the uh, leather bar scene of New York City. So it's basically a William Friedkin film, but it's also kind of a slasher film at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because you've got there's a serial killer targeting gay men in the West Village, and uh, Al Pacino is a hotshot young detective who goes undercover into the leather bar scene to try to find him. There's a copious amounts of uh, uh, I guess it's fair to call it homoeroticism, mm-hmm. except it's not like coded homoeroticism. It's just literally dudes making out and having sex, and Al Pacino infiltrates the scene, but it changes him, man. Does it? Does it change him? How it changes him is not explicitly said. It's uh, even barely it's barely hinted at. Oh, we could definitely get into that in a hot minute. <laughs> but that's that's like the core that's like the gist of it. It's basically a police procedural set in the West Village. Yeah. So what do you think about this movie, JP? Um, I mean, I, mean I, sh- I should say that this movie when it came out was protested by gay rights groups and given short thrift by audiences and critics. And time has been kind to it. Time has been very kind to it. People fucking love this movie nowadays. Um, and I gotta say, it's pretty good. I thought this movie was gonna be mad homophobic. No, this movie's actually like I will stand by this to like my death. I think this movie is very good outside of a couple minor things. Um, but like, I don't. It's like I hate saying like I don't think this movie could have ever been bad because i think william friedkin was pretty much like set like he set his mind to capturing what these like snm and leather bars were like it's like this is what it was if you look at any of the porn films from like the 1970s that featured all of these gay men if you look at um i mean i'll like shout out to evan perchell um who goes by schlock value on um on twitter <laughs> name. yeah um he i mean i i always i love following him because he posts so many oh uh he's the guy who wrote uh shit what movie did he write for he the wrote about doom essay? generation for he wrote about doom generation yeah um which like if i ever do cruising it's like i know i'm tapping him for that but um he wrote uh or he constantly posts these uh under the instagram ask anybody um like b-u-d-d-y um Mm -hmm. and it's like all of these old advertisements for like porn theaters and like gay bars and like uh queer films and all like it's just 
it's so fascinating to look at like like to get looks into what the 1970s gay culture was and i think this movie is very much a time capsule even though it is made by a straight man who is going into this scene i mean there's one of the big things about this movie is there's 40 minutes worth of just straight up gay pornography that was excised and is like missing from the shot movie. and lost to time basically yeah because william friedkin doesn't do shit by halves no not at all and it's like that's like can you imagine this movie with 40 minutes of just gay porn because like well, i can <laughs> okay so first of all this movie's already like an hour 50 it's an hour so 40 one, okay it's an hour 40 so that would make it a two hour and 20 minute like sort of gay sex opus but i think that yes it would and i think that would have made it even more interesting because i think i <laughs> some of the best shots in this movie are just of like people watching people I mean, that's like 90% of the movie. Yeah, and cameras gliding through bodies and sweat and just like, like it, you can smell it, you can feel it. And I think that's something that like William Friedkin always has done excellently. And there's, all, there's always a kind of uh, textural quality to his movies. This is like all of his movies. And grit is usually like the stock texture. Yeah, it's grimy. It's very grimy. It's very uh it's 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 sleazy it's very sleazy yeah and we've talked about this like before with other movies i think like you and i i we've had like discussions about killer joe where it's like every like i think you were the one who said like every minute watching that screen was just like you felt like i don't know like greasy and like wrong (laughs) yeah no you you felt yeah you felt like you could reach out touch the screen and you would run your fingers along it and there'd be like a layer of film on your fingers afterwards yeah and like I think all of his movies do that. I think Cruising does that really well. I think you, mm-hmm. while watching Cruising, you were you are one hundred percent in this like interior leather bar to steal James Franco's title of the movie that he made that was recreating the fucking forty minutes of porn, which isn't very good. Well, I read I read the Wikipedia article on it, and it's. Not even a recreation of the forty minutes. It's, it's a movie about a movie about the recreation of the forty minutes. That's literally what it is. Yes, it's not and there's good. like there's like like a minute of it. In yeah, like the middle of it. I kind I of like, hate it. It's like uh, anyway, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, he won an Ally Award at the Miami Gay and Lesbian Film Festival when it was titled that ages ago. Whoops. Uh, for that movie, and I fucking I I'm never gonna get over that. It's like fuck that movie, fuck James Franco. And no one um, ever gets it 100%. <laughs> no. Um, I will say that this movie manages to feel... It's isolated without feeling claustrophobic. Yeah. But I think that's more of a matter of, like, this movie plays heavily with light and shadow. Oh, God, it does, though. It makes a huge deal of, we are out in the daytime. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful scene out here in New York City. Ah, oh, but the nighttime, everything has, like, a sheen to it. And everything is not even black, but it's, like, midnight blue. And... And, you know, the the leather and the frames, everything has, like, sort of a reflective surface to it. This movie looks really fucking good. Yeah. Well, it's, like, William Friedkin's just so good at, like, I want to call it, like, filmmaking in the shadows. But, like, that's, sure. that's what he does. Like, that's, like, nights are beautiful. They're not, I mean, they're a little terrifying, but they're also just gorgeous. <laughs> like, you can um, see the appeal of cruising because he made it. Another filmmaker wouldn't, like... Like, and I don't say, like, cruising the movie. I mean, like, cruising, like, the activity. Yeah. And it's, like, 
not everybody knows how to make a good movie out of like because like movies about sitting around and waiting can be kind of boring but like this does it really well i would say um the french film stranger by the lake is a really good Mm -hmm. example of just like the appeal and the terror of cruising um i mean like it's like a guy going around killing gay people isn't like a fresh tale it's (laughs) yeah that's not yeah that doesn't sound like a fun time at the movies yeah it's miserable but like this movie's i don't know like um a lot of people call this movie homophobic i don't think it is i don't like you said it was you thought it was going to be a lot more gay panicky yeah well it's it's 1980 this is an american film i yeah i mean i kind of had my my i had my suspicions or i had my (laughs) i had my doubts and like i'm not in a position to say whether or not friedkin pacino and everyone involved gave uh the scene a fair shake because that's not my universe yeah does it um i think it does i would argue it does um like this is one it's like pre-aids so this was definitely like it's a very accurate in my opinion not just in the way that they show like the bars in the scene but like also just the way that the police and the queer community have always had and probably will always had there's it's like there uh i mean i'll like i'll cite evans uh one of evans um letterboxd reviews by saying uh by reading hold on uh what i find really fascinating about cruising is just how accurately it portrays the sort of relationship and struggle that the police and the lgbt community were locked in at the time and even still now the way that the police's interest in the case is less about actually caring for or protecting a vulnerable class but is instead motivated by pure cold politics yeah 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 like i don't like and i know we've obviously i i mean i guess i'll open this up for you to be able to talk about more because i don't want to i don't want to just talk about the gay things but like i think it's interesting that like we've discussed a lot of movies about like cops and cop adjacent folks Mm -hmm. and it's like all of these movies come with political baggage but Uh i think the grand theme is like cops are too busy being self-servicing or self-serving to notice like what's really going on um i would i would tend to agree um like all the really great cop movies all the great crime movies that focus on like police officers a lot of those movies just the police are pricks they're not heroes they're not to be emulated just just in friedkin's filmography you've got William Peterson in uh, To Live and Die in L.A. is a fuck-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a Popeye Doyle in French Connection who's a real fucking asshole, real piece of shit. They're compelling characters. They're not aspirational in the slightest. These movies work because cops are shitty people doing what ultimately what is shitty work. Yeah. Cruising has this additional angle uh, where it's like, we're not fond of this community, but we need to pump you for information. So we have this uneasy tango that we're doing with you. Yeah. And we understand that this killer is targeting members of your community, but we don't give a shit that much about that. We give more of a shit about the fact that we're going to look bad if this keeps going on. Yeah. And it's like, they don't even care about like, uh, the two sex workers who are like getting harassed by the cops and like forced to give them blowjobs. It's like, yep. who gives a fuck yep. about yep. them? Like, we're just going to, look away because well they're part of the force and 
one of them comes back in the movie being punked for information again because I mean those roles are pretty much set in stone. Yep. I mean this this is the system we're operating in, and it can't break out of it. Yeah, and I think one of my favorite lines uh, is uh, one of the gay characters says, um, "Cops, if they get their hands on him, they'll make him a member of the Vice Squad." And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what yeah, they would exactly do with the murderer. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, we have we we're having this run of movies where cops are both the good guy and the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. So we've got this observe and report maniac cop. Yeah, it's kind of a nice trilogy there. It's that's a weird trilogy, right? That's a weird that's a weird triple built to program. I know, but it's so fascinating to me that like we've like incidentally picked all three of these movies, and I think um uh like a recent show uh i love how i keep going back to television um i love tv um there's a or a mini series rather because it is only nine episodes they're all very contained um is american crime story uh specifically the new one the assassination of gianni versace uh which is written by like a queer crime writer and he like one of the things that the show nails which i think this this movie even though it's written it's made by a straight man nails is just like how poor police officers are at engaging with queer people it's like the sheer terror of even stepping into a gay bar outside of like pacino's character it's like none of them are going to do that because it's like why would we speak to them like they're human when they're not is there there's the great scene when uh, there's not even there's like barely a word said in this scene. It's precinct night at the at the oh, all these clubs. So all these clubs have great names, by the way. One of them's called the cockpit. One of them's called the ramrod. Yep, Wolf's Den. And I forget what's the other, uh, the Wolf's Den. Yeah, I mean I'm, I'm less crazy about Wolf's Den, but ramrod and cockpit are both very funny. <laughs> Ramrod's a good fucking. I mean we have uh, we have a lot of we have a lot of interesting bar names. <laughs> But anyway, so it's precinct night at one of these clubs, and everyone is like dressed as a cop. Like everyone has like like on like stripper cop wear or whatever. Yep. And in comes Pacino, just dressed normally, and he gets fucking kicked out. <laughs> exactly, he gets kicked out for not being a cop, even though he is the only cop. It's beautiful. That's a great little metonymy in this movie. Yeah, and it's also it, I mean it it's something interesting because like these nights actually absolutely do exist, and it is fascinating to me like how we fetishize these people in positions of power i mean that's like kind of what like tom of finland did so much of with his art and like a bunch of other artists and sex nights and whatnots uh, do y'all have like frumpy sex nights like come dress as a librarian oh my god or... if only that's my dream <laughs> i would literally go out to every bar if there was like come dressed as a sexy librarian night no not even a sexy librarian just bust out like a turtleneck and a, and a jacket I mean that could be sexy. Get like, get like your <laughs> get your shittiest like pleated pants and penny loafers. I think I think gay people need to have like a Nancy Myers night where like we all just show up at like somebody's really great kitchen and like have a party there in like white turtlenecks. Although I just said that out loud and I realized now just that's just a gay bar full of people who look like Tim Heidecker. I mean, you say that like that's not literally my fetish. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying shit off the dome. How they reflect off you? Well, that's you. I mean, true, fair, fair. It's like I think you've just been been around me long enough where you understand. Um, I think that rather than fetishizing the people who oppress you, maybe you should fetishize rad people like librarians yeah. or teachers. 
I love it. It's the way to do it. Um, <laughs> so, or or I guess doctors is the thing, right? I mean, sexy doctor. I could get sexy doc. Sexy nurses are definitely a thing. Definitely, that I think we need to switch. Well, no, I think we should have sexy nurses, but like sexy male nurses now. I'm um, sign me up. This is so stupid, but I love this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so back to the movie. Back uh, to cruising. I love one of the things I mean like it's like I love a lot of things about this movie actually but one of the things I really love is the soundtrack for this movie um the soundtrack's really good they got my man John Hyatt on it yeah and like so much of the sound is just like this like assault on the senses it's like whistles talking music all like kind of overflowing to where nothing really sounds like it's supposed to sound and there's this one really good cut that goes from like him in bed because Pacino's character is obviously like um any movie with like a detective who's like in the zone is starting to sort of like internalize these features and yeah. deal with like the pressures of life and uh, is this a part are you talking about the part where he fucks Karen Allen hard yeah oh, and then it like there's that scene there's obviously a lot of scenes where like Pacino I mean Pacino's really good in this um, <laughs> this is like prime Pacino I mean he's like right in the pocket yeah right yeah like obviously the movie has this overarching theme of like a straight man losing himself to the gay community but like there's a scene where he's like not the first time he's fucking karen allen but the second time and it goes from like he's laying in bed staring up at the ceiling and she's like kissing him and you can hear her kissing him but she's starting to like her sound starts going down and like the noise of the club the noise of all of these other things starts overwhelming him and then it just cuts to like Oh, I didn't catch that because the speakers on my TV suck. Oh, no. It literally, it's that happens, and then it cuts over to, like, the sound of the city in daytime, which sounds just like the club, except without, like, the whistles. Mm. And it's, like, just this out, like, exterior shot of, like, him trying to go about, like, a normal day. And I'm like, oh, fuck me, that's so good. Like, I just, oh, William Friedkin's so good at what he does. <laughs> I, I just want to take two seconds to, uh... To uh, basically spool out an appreciation of the work of Karen Allen. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really get a whole lot to do in this movie. No, she doesn't. But there is this run of movies in the early 80s where she is on fucking fire. Mm -hmm. Because right after Cruising, she has uh, Raiders and Starman. Oh, so good. Like within a few years of each other. She doesn't work that much anymore. Like this is one of these instances where... Let, let me just read a little bit from the Karen Allen Wikipedia page. Just really act anymore. Hit it. Okay, so her son became a chef and won, a, won an episode of Chopped for the Food Network in 2016. She developed an... Okay, this is a direct quote from the Wikipedia page. She developed an affinity for knitting and in 2003 started her own textile company, Karen Allen Fiber Arts. That's amazing. In Great Barrington, Massachusetts. The company sells... Items Allen knits with a Japanese-made knitting machine. For her work in the textile arts, she was awarded an honorary master's degree from the Fashion Institute of Technology in 2009. She also teaches acting at Bard College, and she lives in Massachusetts, where she also teaches yoga. <laughs> so wait, what you're telling me is that Karen Allen is literally the coolest person in the world. <laughs> so shout out to Karen Allen for living her best life, not really needing the movies. I'm literally so jealous of her life. Right like she now. still she still goes like to conventions and shit on account of being in the Indiana Jones movies. But of course, but no, still, she's out here. That's she, so no, cool. she's out here knitting toques and teaching yoga in New England. So so shout out to Karen Allen. I adore her. 
Um, <laughs> um, I will say one of my favorite shots in this movie is like her putting on his like his old uh, disguise end. at the end of the movie is so good. Um, I'd like to talk about that two seconds, not for like the shot of Pacino in the mirror afterwards, mm-hmm. but it's like. I think it's meant to be that we think that that's the same shit that the killer had, right? What, like him? No, that that the the jacket and the hat and the glasses. Were oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sim- There's like there was like a hundred dudes with the same getup in this movie, and it could be any one of them Absolutely. if it's not the one that they caught. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it kind of goes to that point of like a killer can disguise himself as any member of a community, um, mm-hmm. and I think like obviously Pacino I, those objects are representative of the community and Pacino as a straight man started putting that disguise on and I think the movie is trying to make a game of like how hard is it to take off the disguise once you've put it on um which I think is an interesting theme especially going into like the concept of internalized homophobia it's like had he started kind of becoming part of the gay community because you know like maybe it is starting to seem kind of appealing like this whole rigmarole of this um but do you think that it's a sexuality thing necessarily do you think it's like a ptsd thing i think it could be both uh i don't think the movie cares i think that's the ambiguity that i like about the movie the ambiguity of the movie that i hate is that they decide we're going to have pacino presumably kill a gay man do you think he did i know it doesn't matter but I think the think movie posits that he is the one who killed the his, like, gay neighbor. I think the movie only posits that maybe he did, but I think that's the movie being coy. Like, we were talking off mic that the scene where Ted, where we come upon Ted's murder, more or less unnecessary. If I, I were editing yes. this, I'd probably cut that out. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't really serve anything other than to amplify an ambiguity that they were already going to get. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like, that's the part of the movie I take issue with, because that's the part where it's like him trying to cover up any idea that he was gay uh, is like fueling his own like, that's what that's why the other gay man killed people. And now he's doing the same exact thing. It's like, that's stupid. Like, I (laughs) I don't want to like, it's very much a horror movie trope. Uh huh. And I don't think it it fits here because I think this is more than a horror movie. This movie's kind of shot at times like a horror film. Like it is. Like the second murder in like the the the, the booth with the movies, oh, the booth so with like good. the porn films. That's that's kind of a De Palma esque moment. Yeah, where you've got like the 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 knife in like the the shadow of the knife, and you know the knife is the phallic symbol being thrust into the dude. And the knife only being like two inches long. I mean, even the same thing with um, the guy who gets tied up. It's like the way he positions the knife right over his back and then plunges in. I mean, it's like it's it's all very, very much made like a horror movie. Um, Yes, yes, yes. It's just an artsier horror movie. Uh, (laughs) And I think the movie has more aspirations of being like it is basically an erotic thriller, uh, just of a different kind. And I think we can probably dive into like the idea of any erotic thriller with gay people becomes maligned by the gay community because they don't want to be seen as villains. I never even considered this to be an erotic thriller. But isn't because, it? Because, 
I mean, it kind of is. I can see where you're coming from, but I guess it's just my own kind of bias where it's like erotic thrillers are generally like heterocentric. Yeah. Like all, all the movies starring, you know, uh, erotic thriller hero Michael Douglas are like man and woman. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, this this operates pretty much in the same way. The only difference is that th- the fact that this is somewhat undercover cruising for gay sex kind of leaves that one key aspect of the erotic thriller out, which is like sort of the pursuit the pursuit of sex in danger. Even though he's still doing it, he's not doing it in the same way. You no, he's not. You're right. No, it's it's partially an erotic thriller slash slasher, partially a detective story, and the way they overlap is what I think is so fascinating about the movie. I almost want to say that it's a erotic in quotation marks, thriller in quotation marks, but not an erotic thriller in quotation marks. Yeah. You understand? That's fair. <laughs> it's like um, it's like it's like seventy five percent of the way there, but the fact that Al Pacino for plot reasons and for character reasons is kind of robbed of agency because okay like, yeah that like the whole point of an erotic thriller is like this is sexy but also dangerous it's like we don't know if he finds it sexy or not even though that it's explicitly dangerous because he's trying to find a guy who's killing other guys right i mean i think i would argue he does find it sexy um just because i think an average straight man who had become embedded in this situation would not have had the kind of like internalized trauma that he seemed to have had throughout the movie and by the end of the movie just like you know the scene with like karen allen him having sex and him like kind of almost disassociating i think like that he may potentially be interested in men he's just not okay with that concept and i think again my biggest issue with this movie is the fact that like he fucking kills the other gay guy it's like i don't i don't think that's a good scene i think that's a bad scene that takes away from this or that i'm not, e- it I'm makes not even explicit, sure that he kills it or yes we're not sure that he kills him but it makes yeah, we're not sure that he kills him but that dude still dies yeah he doesn't need you know? to die uh it's like that doesn't need to be there but um i mean i think like just the way the camera moves through places i think i think it is really like I think it's a dude looking at dudes in a way that isn't at, you know, I don't think it's just professional. It does seem kind of combative in a way, though. Yes, I think he's torn like, apart. That dude, it. like Pacino's not looking at everyone else the same way everyone else is looking at everybody else. Yes. And in the climactic scene where it's him and Stuart in like, like, like a lot. And uh, this is just before uh, Stuart attacks Pacino. They're facing off. They're like sizing up what they want. And it looks like they're about to like, it looks like they're in a duel. It looks like they're reaching for their six gun. And it basically, that's basically what it is too. They're basically playing a game of chicken. Yeah. Because we know that he's on the lookout for a killer and that the other dude's wielding a knife. So they're basically, it's basically a game of chicken. I think there is a combativeness that may be what you're saying. It could very well be him and his internalized, like his desires and internalized homophobia coming to a head i think that it's a guy who is afraid of being found out i think he's afraid of getting both those things i think he's afraid of getting his cover blown just look at the way he moves in the scene with powers booth with the hankies and shit Mm -hmm. that's a guy leaving afraid he's going to blow his cover that's fair but do you not think it can be both those things it could be it could very well be both 
Like, do you not think, like, at the end of that, like, at the end of the movie, when he's staring at himself in the mirror, do you not think he's going to walk out of that bathroom and see Karen Allen in that outfit and have sex with her in that outfit? Oh, probably. probably. Because I think he will get off on the idea of, like, those men and that woman coming together in in an odd, very, like, bisexual way. I think that the mo- the ending of the movie posits a kind of of deep change yes. what that is is open wide open to interpretation we're basically saying two different things but the same thing yeah we're we're basically agreeing yeah that no, there I is think we some kind are. there's a fundamental aspect of his personality that has shifted due to the previous hour or 30 minutes worth of events yeah if that is the sole ambiguity that the movie is left with and right on it is tarnished by the fact that we have a dead ted yeah, that's really the only, it's like, oddly enough, that's my only real complaint about this movie. <laughs> so I was, I was talking on the Slack earlier uh, with you. I was like, I gave this, uh, I gave this movie a three and a half. You gave this movie a three and a half. And I said I agreed and that I could maybe be talking to a gentleman's four. And I think I'm at a four now. That was my original uh, pick. And then um, I've, I've changed, I've changed a lot. I think, I mean, it's a four, maybe a 4.5 for me. So um, I guess we kind of spoiled the final judgments portion of the show where we say oh, what yeah. we thought. It's fresh. <laughs> it's, it is. Um, this movie came in with a lot of baggage, bad reputation, and it could have gone wrong in so many ways. But like I said before, William Friedkin doesn't do shit by halves. No, he does not. This is a great thriller. It's a great police procedural. It's beautifully shot. And uh, according to some, uh, someone who I'm willing to trust, is this great kind of uh, portrait of a uh, of a pre-AIDS gay scene, specifically the one in the West Village in New York at the time. But it's a great fucking movie. Pacino's fucking awesome in it. Paul Sorvino's awesome in it. And it's 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 a credit to it that it was made in 1980 and has. I mean, I certainly wouldn't call it homophobic, even though it has its bad moments. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I agree. Uh, I don't. So yeah, think I'm gonna I would give call. it. To, I'm gonna give it a fresh. Yeah. I don't think I'd call anything about it homophobic outside of that, like, one annoying death. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's a really good fucking queer film. Um, yeah, fresh, fresh, fresh all around, son. Uh, That's two straight movies that we've done so far, or in this run, that we've agreed on. I know, it's a Christmas miracle that I finally got one that you agree on. Uh, I mean, that's not that wild. I mean, no, I know, it's just my last two picks, you were you were ambivalent to negative about so yeah i was ambivalent about unfaithful and i was not wild about uh about the producers yeah but now i picked one that you liked congrats so so it's recommendations time and since i picked the movie it is your turn to go first i am going to recommend a long ass movie from 1995 Mm mm-hmm Made by one of the great action filmmakers still working in the studio system. Mm-hmm. That man is Michael Mann. The Aww, film is Heat. Oh, yeah. Heat is so fucking good. I don't know if it has the best Pacino performance or the best De Niro performance, but I think it has the best Val Kilmer performance. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Val Kilmer is excellent in this. Obviously, Michael Mann is a, a, a wizard of action filmmaking. His use of shallow focus in this movie is really incredible, especially in the climax. Mm-hmm. it's just a great fucking heist movie it's a great crime film and 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're Michael Mann. Michael Mann is a guy that gets a lot of love from film Twitter types and also gets a lot of a blowback from film Twitter types because of the initial love. But there's so many good movies here. And Heat is, I don't know if it's his best, but I think it's like the iconic one. I mean, I haven't seen it, but I think Michael Mann is a genius out of all the films that I have seen of his, of which I only dislike one. Which one did you not like? Uh, Public Enemies. I have to rewatch that. I'm willing to give it another chance, but oh, so like that's a movie that I fucking hated and I paid for in theaters. Like, I, I, I think I was bemused by it when I saw it for the first time, because this is 2009, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. This is the same year I saw, uh, this is the same year as uh, Observant yeah, the same year as as Observe and Report, and I didn't get it. Like I liked it, but I felt I, I was left wanting. But I'm perfectly willing to go back and revisit it. Yeah, that's fair. I'd because be willing. Cause... Some people whose opinions I really trust fucking adore this movie. Eh. But for now, I'm gonna recommend Heat. Sounds good, and I know my recommendation. What is it? Uh, so my recommendation is going to be a film that i love that could arguably be considered a miniseries depending on which uh format the film is viewed in i mean uh, it is a miniseries but i'm going going to allow it because i am a benevolent god uh love you um anyway it is um it is the mike nichols's adaptation of tony kushner's angels in america um, All right. which is like a fucking brilliant work of art both uh the play and the miniseries um the miniseries has a shit ton of excellent actors <laughs> like this cast is stacked it's um al pacino meryl streep patrick wilson mary louise parker emma thompson justin kirk jeffrey wright ben shankman james cromwell michael gambon and simon callow that's a pretty stacked cast i have to agree yeah literally like an amazing cast um multiple people playing multiple roles um and it's just like it's so good it's so gay it won like a thousand goddamn emmys and not that many but it won a lot of them and it's just like it is a really 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 good work of art especially it's like if 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 you haven't watched angels in america at some point in your life um and you should, Derek. Uh, but, like, I think everyone should watch this if they're interested in, like, queer art. Because um, it's so fucking good. And, again, Mike Nichols is just, like, one of my favorite directors and writers. Dude's made a shit ton of movies. William Friedkin and Mike Nichols were both, like, not gay men. But, like, I think they both made a lot of good gay and or queer work. Um, I mean, even I don't love Boys in the Band, but, like, William Friedkin made Boys in the Band. Oh, that's right. He did do that. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, now it's uh, it's it's interesting how both Angels in America and Boys in the Band are now currently Broadway stage productions again, even though I think one is more interesting than the other. But anyway, so yeah, you should totally watch Angels in America. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm going to part the kimono just a little bit and say that I'm currently looking at the list of movies that have a 50% score on Rotten Tomatoes because I did not have the foresight to pick one at the end of this show. You shit fuck. So I'm just going to go through here real quick and I'm going to play it uh, play it off the dome. That's cool. Oh, let's do this. This is fun. Uh, we've uh, discussed uh, recently a lot of movies about uh, what 
many would call toxic masculinity, entitlement, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I mean, of our time topics, right? Yes. So, I mean, why, why fuck with a good thing? And uh, for the next episode of the Stuck in the Middle with You podcast, we will be discussing pain and gain. Oh my god, yes! Which is sitting pretty at 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm so excited. So that's going to be a good time. I think this is a rewatch for both of us. I absolutely, yeah, yeah it is. So, uh, yeah, next time we are going to be doing Pain and Gain, directed by Michael Bay, from 2013. Oh my god, I can't wait. It's gonna be good. Sounds fabulous. So now it's plugs, I guess. Mm-hmm. Juan and I run a website called Dim the House Lights. You can find it at dimthehouselights.com. There you can find all manner of film-related writing, uh, some by me, some by Juan, and some by the rest of our little stable of writers, including Michelle Arf, Chris Mello, and Ross Burks. Uh, you can find my work at derekgane.com. Everything I've ever done is linked from there in some way. And you can find Juan's work at the Miami New Times, both in print and online. And uh, you can also... Uh, check out his film series, Flaming Classics. Uh, check your local listings. They happen on some Sundays at 8 p.m. at the Cosford Cinema, Miami, Florida. That is that correct? Yep. Okay. Uh, we are both on Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at both places at Derek underscore G. And Juan is at both places at Whoa, It's Juanito. That's W-O-A-H. It's Juanito, all one word. And uh, with that, I think we can sign off. Sounds like a plan. See you guys right. next time. Yes, we will see you in two weeks.